This is 50 miles per hour. Pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. You're deeply nuts, you know that. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is on. Stay on or get off. If it drops below 50, stay on or get off. It blows up. Oh darn. What do you do? You have a hair trigger aimed at your head. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? I'm your host, Chris Tapley, and you're listening to an oral history of director Jan de Bont's 1994 summer blockbuster, Speed. Straight from the people who made it happen. Now, don't forget to fasten your seatbelts. Let's hit the road. Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of 50 Miles Per Hour. If you are new here, well, so are we. We're only a couple of episodes into this, so I encourage you to go back and knock out the last few to bring yourself up to, uh, speed. But anyway, to quickly catch everyone up, last week we got into the thick of writing speed with screenwriter Graham Yost. He was toiling away at an early TV writing career when he first conceived his bomb-on-a-bus movie. At the end of that episode, we met Allison Lyon, co-producer of the film, who was ultimately responsible for bringing the script to the attention of producer Mark Gordon. Although at the time she met Graham, she was on her way out of another production company. So let's hear from her first today. He was pitching me a completely different uh, project called Suicide Hotline, which I liked. You know, I said, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. He said, it's okay. I'm going to go home and I'm working on a spec script. So that's basically where we had left it. And then he was one of the first calls I made when I started working for Mark. I never said I liked action movies, really, when I interviewed with Mark. I'm not sure it was a genre that I did particularly like. And Graham hadn't written one. So it was kind of surprising when it came across my desk. And it was so well written. And I think that's what was stunning to me. And I almost went in apologetically to Mark and said, I, I know, you know, you've never done an action movie. I've never done an action movie, but the writing is so good. Please take a look at this. Okay, so who is Mark Gordon? Mark Gordon is the Oscar nominated producer of films like Saving Private Ryan, The Patriot, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, and Steve Jobs. As if that weren't enough, he's probably best known for the television empire that he's lorded over for the past two decades with series like Grey's Anatomy, Criminal Minds, Ray Donovan, and Designated Survivor. But like many involved with Speed, back in the early 90s, he was still finding his place in the industry. His biggest claims to fame were a handful of ABC after-school specials and the Dana Carvey comedy Opportunity Knocks, which is sort of an apt title given the direction that things were soon to take. I think that we all had a lot to, to gain by the success of the movie, but in many ways, we all had a lot to gain just by having the opportunity to make it. You know, I never saw myself as a producer of action movies, and as it turns out, I made a number of them, but it wasn't my intention. I think if you look at the movies that I've made and the television shows that I've made over the years, they're very eclectic. You know, Jerry Bruckheimer makes a certain kind of movie. I think, at least in the old days, you thought of Brian Grazer making a certain kind of comedy. Um, I never felt like I had a brand or a, a kind of movie that I made. I think because I was always interested in all films to, to see them and appreciate them, that I 
became interested in all genres and all types of films as a producer. Um, and I think sometimes as opposed to you deciding what the definition of, of a movie that you want to make, oftentimes the movie that you make that is successful defines you. And I think to some extent that happened with me, although I, I did continue over the years to make all different kinds of films. So I wasn't really looking for anything except something good, something interesting, something that would, uh, that would entertain me, something that I would want to see in the theater. Now, Graham Yost mentioned last week that it was the opening elevator sequence of Speed that grabbed Mark's attention. We're going to talk about that sequence in greater detail down the line, but I should probably put it into context here. Speed has an interesting structure. It's sort of three movies. There's the bus section, which is basically the entire second act of the film. An hour of Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock navigating this speeding behemoth in and out of danger. But there's also a third act subway sequence and an opening set piece in a downtown LA high-rise. The latter is how Graham would ultimately introduce his villain, Mad Bomber and former Bomb Squad police officer Howard Payne, played by Dennis Hopper. Payne's opening volley is holding an elevator of passengers hostage after blowing its cables and rigging the brake system to explode if his ransom demands are not met. I mean, it's a full 30 minutes before Jack Traven even sees a city bus, but we get a crystal clear view of what makes him tick right here in this sequence. Between him and his partner, Officer Harry Temple, played by Jeff Daniels, Jack is by far the more compulsive personality. All right, pop quiz. Airport, gunman with one hostage. He's using her for cover. He's almost to a plane. You're a hundred feet away. Jack. Shoot the hostage. What? Take her out of the equation. Go for the good wound and he can't get to the plane with her. Clear shot. You're deeply nuts, you know that? Shoot the hostage. <laughs> yeah, you know, I read the script um, and I was just so floored by the way Graham wrote action. Um, it was so visual and visceral on the page. And I would say that, you know, over the course of the development of the script, uh, a lot of things were changed, but the elevator sequence never really changed. And by the time I got to the end of that elevator sequence, the rest of the script could have been garbage and I would have still been interested because that was so good. As it turns out, the script was good and I loved it. But that elevator sequence really just right from the first page, it was just written so beautifully. And um, most of the time action is described and written in fairly utilitarian ways. This was poetry. We sent out the scripts, you know, to different studios and people are like, what are you thinking, Allison? You know, it's it's certainly not the type of material I was known for. People are like, what do you mean they never get off the bus? I'm like, no, 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 no. please keep reading. Please keep reading. When young kids getting into the business ask me, you know, what it takes and I say it takes tenacity. And no matter how many no's you get, you only need one yes. And Mark and I really, really believed in it. And more importantly, believed in Graham. We had met him in person um, and just 
kind of fell in love with that relationship and we just kept at it. And usually when there's a spec script, you know, it gets divided up between producers. You get one, this studio and somebody else gets another studio. And we were so passionate about it that the agent let us run with it to all the studios. And we did get a lot of no's and we got a lot of, are you crazy? And, um, and Don read it and totally got it. And now we come to the first studio executive on the project. Allison is talking about Don Granger, who at the time was the vice president of production at Paramount Pictures. It's worth talking about him a bit. For 30 years, Don Granger has traded in the kind of big canvas tentpole releases that Speed is included among today, though it certainly wasn't aspiring to at the time. The film was seen as a much smaller endeavor, which we'll get to. But with executive stints at Paramount, Touchstone Pictures, The Mutual Film Company, Cruz Wagner Productions, as in Tom Cruise, and United Artists, Don oversaw franchises like Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Tomb Raider, and the Jack Ryan films, as well as other large-scale productions like War of the Worlds, Timeline, and Snakes on a Plane. For the last 10 years, he has presided over the film division of David Ellison's Skydance Media, and let me just rattle off some of these titles. Edward Zwick's Jack Reacher with Tom Cruise, Michael Bay's Six Underground with Ryan Reynolds, Ang Lee's Gemini Man with Will Smith, Gina Prince-Bythewood's The Old Guard with Charlize Theron, Tim Miller's Terminator Dark Fate with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton, Chris McKay's The Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt, and of course, director Christopher McQuarrie's ongoing Mission Impossible series, which has leveled up with each and every new entry. The first of the two-part Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning hits theaters next week, and I can tell you that it certainly continues that trajectory. Don and Skydance's most recent and perhaps greatest success? Joseph Kaczynski's Top Gun Maverick, which I like to say is the kind of sturdy action film we used to get every three weeks in the 90s, but that we're so starved for today. To the point that, when we finally get something like it, boom, it's critically acclaimed, it scoops up $1.5 billion at the box office, and it lands an Oscar nomination for Best Picture. Anyway, that's a long intro, but a necessary one, I think, because Don Granger was the one person in all of Hollywood who saw something in Graham's script for Speed. Here's what he remembers. I read it, and I I liked it because I love the central concept. I believe the unique nature of being on a bus for the entire movie, um, just the energy and the opportunities that would give that in the action landscape of late 80s, early 90s, um, that seemed like a unique idea. Um, But I was on the fence. And so I remember getting a call from Mark Gordon and the House of Lion. I only remember this because they browbeat me into buying it. They literally were like, you love this. Like, you love this. Like, don't, don't backtrack now. Don't be on the fence. Don't be... Don't be equivocating about it. Don't be a coward. And they literally browbeat me into remembering the previous phone call I had had with them about the promise of this. They were great producers, just great, because uh, they literally would not allow me to say no. Um, and I said, okay, I get it. This, I, I know what I like about this. I think we got a lot of work doing the script, but let's go after it. And I bought it. Oops, Paramount bought it. Um we bought it. I, I don't believe. I think it was a. It was an incredibly inexpensive deal, um, and I don't think there was any competition because I believe everybody had passed. Here is screenwriter Graham Yost recalling this period. 
I go on to Full House. The script is going around. Full House is, is not a good fit for me. The assistant would come in and I'd be sitting there going, please come in and tell me I've got a phone call. Please, please tell me that the script is sold. And I would hear things like, oh, so-and-so passed. Um, but there might be some interest here. And so, so I would get, the, get called out of the room. And finally, I just quit Full House. It was just too miserable for me. It was just the wrong fit. My, my line is, you know, they, hired, they said they hired me for my edge. Eh, they didn't want any edge. But um, I quit on a Tuesday. And that Thursday, my wife and I went up to Oregon for a friend's wedding. And that Friday, I got the phone call that it had sold at Paramount. And that was one of those, you know, my life just changed. But it's the movie business. So it took a year to finalize a deal with me. And it's not for a lot of money. Just to put a finer point on this, Graham was paid $75,000 for his spec script for Speed. And I think I got like a couple drafts for that. It was like, it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a check that Graham should have on his wall somewhere. So here we go. A studio has bit. Time for cameras to roll, right? Well, not so fast. As you heard Don say, the script needed work. While the project was set up at Paramount for about a year, and this would have been about 1991, it had to be developed and wrangled into a shape that Don felt he could go to his bosses at Paramount, which at the time would have included President of Production John Goldwyn and Chairman Brandon Tartikoff, and convince them that it was a project ready for a green light. So, with notes from Don, into the trenches they go to get it there. I recall the first thing about the script was that it was way too dark. Um, I believe, and again, my memory could be wrong, but I believe that Jack Traven was... Um, he had a limp the entire movie because he had a he he's either he had a knee brace on or he had a bum knee. And um that caused him to be popping pills almost constantly throughout the script. Um the driver of the bus, I forget what her name was in the spec, was a recovered addict. So there was a lot about addiction in the movie um and it was a lot of pain just personal pain physical pain um that was running through the script that was running counter to the popcorn aspirations of the plot i had jack you know hooked on he had a knee brace and he's hooked on pain pills and because i loved uh jeff bridges and cutter's way and um you know stuff like that gets peeled out I wasn't scared of this. I I was lucky enough to be a fly on the wall, a junior executive at at, at Disney when the Spec three thousand got turned into Pretty Woman. So I had seen a script go through a massive tonal shift. Um, you know, and, and Mark and and, and Graham were cer certainly embraced the fact that we had to we had to be a little bit less dark about dark or nihilistic uh, over the course of the movie. Um, so that was the character changes that we i believe we immediately sought out to make the second was i just didn't feel we i felt that the bus overstayed its welcome that it was you know that the, by the time we were circling dodger stadium in the third act i suffered just exhaustion as a reader you know i wanted to get off the bus but not in a good way the basic big note was yeah enough with the bus in the in the sort of development process with mark you know, he had a deal with Disney and we would just hang out in his office and just kick things around. And at one point, because Passenger 57 had come out, they're on the plane. 
they land. Then they go have this big action scene at an amusement park, and then they get back on the plane and take off again. And I was watching, and I said, that is nonsense. That is a bad studio note. And um, at one point, Mark said, could, is there any point where the bus could stop for a while? I said, yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll blow up and they'll all die, but it can stop. And he said, oh, right, right, right. So I held that against him for years. It used to be that the bus went all the way to the end. And also the ending was, uh, the, the, the solution to the bus was not the airport. It was at Dodger Stadium, driving the parking lot at Dodger Stadium. The bus then had to leave Dodger Stadium. It ended up, actually, I still think this is cool. By dint of circumstance, they're funneled up into Beechwood Canyon and they end up crashing through stuff and they end up on the road going above the Hollywood sign. And you know that the road is running out. They're, they're heading toward a dead end. And I can't remember how it resolved, but they didn't die. Um, but Paramount said, yeah, too much bus. We need a different third act. And I, it was pretty simple. I said, well, what about, a, what about the subway? I said, we've got a, you know, an elevator. We've got a bus, subway. It's all public modes of transport. That would be something that would work with the, the bad guy. And uh, they said, okay. And so it came up with the subway sequence. To this day, when I watch the movie, I feel that the emotional ending is when they come out from under the bus. The, the whole subway sequence is a nice dessert, but it's really not the, the meat of the movie. So a year or so of development at Paramount, and you're probably saying to yourself, but wait a minute, Speed isn't a Paramount movie. Indeed, Mark, Allison, and Graham would eventually hit the skids at the studio and enter the dreaded world of turnaround. Turnaround happens when a company decides, for whatever reason, that they aren't going to continue developing a project, and they let it walk out the front door and find life elsewhere if it can. I don't believe we had any attachments. Ever. At Paramount. Um, or what I, 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 the way it worked at Paramount and the way it kind of still works as a studio, um, is you got to get your boss's permission to go out to talent, which means they have to read the script and say, yes, I want to make this movie. I never got that far at Paramount. I lost the project because, you know, the powers that be at Paramount decided they didn't want to make it. The, um, decision makers at Paramount at the time decided that, they just, they didn't respond to the script. They probably thought it was kind of a goofy idea. You know, when you think about the idea of a bus not being able to, you know, if you drop below 50, the bus is going to blow up. Um, that could be really silly, you know? And I think that was ultimately the thing that made it kind of silly was the thing that made it terrific. It was not uh, grounded completely in reality. The characters were grounded, but it was also funny. Graham is a very funny writer. Um, I think it had just the right level of fun and sort of popcornness, but also it was, it was brutal. There was violence in it. Um, so we never got to the point of budgeting or having any real conversations. It was just put into turnaround. And they just said, you know, here you go. We're not going to make this film. Um, good luck with it. Don Granger was not going to go down without a fight here, though. Now, I don't know if this next piece of information has ever been reported. I had certainly never heard it until Don brought it up. But here is, in his words, his final attempt to get a yes from his bosses on speed. I, I really wanted to try to mount the movie. And my last ditch effort was I pitched it at our chairman's lunch as a possible um, script for Beverly Hills Cop 3. 
Um, I got about 15 minutes of traction before it was dismissed because that was back when the mandate was to find a Beverly Hills Cop 3. Um, so I was like, let's put Axel Foley on the bus. Um, it was a Hail Mary, man. I, I I might maintain it was a better movie. It would have been a better movie than ultimately what we got for Beverly Hills Cop 3. But um, that was my Hail Mary. That was my final Hail Mary. Can you imagine? Anyway, it was not meant to be, as Don would ultimately lose his valiant battle to make speed at Paramount. He was heartbroken, complete heartbreak for Don. And, you know, we always, I think looking back, we always think of him as such a big part of the movie, but ultimately they didn't make it. But we did develop it there for a long time, and he was the first champion of it. You also know the story about Jan being attached to another movie. And that movie, I believe, was being supervised by Don also. So he not only lost speed, but he lost Jan and, you know, saw it all go to Fox. And we're jumping ahead a little bit because Allison is referring to director Jan DeBunt, and he's coming, I promise. But at the time, Jan was developing the movie Drop Zone at Paramount. That film would go on to be directed by John Badham with Wesley Snipes, and soon enough, the separate fates of Speed and Jan de Bont would become intertwined at another studio. But there would be a long-lasting Speed-shaped scar at Paramount as a result of all of this. This is a great story. So I get the script in turnaround. Um, and right around this time, the regime changes at Paramount. And Sherry Lansing becomes the chairman of the studio. And... I wasn't privy to the, the Paramount side of it, but the way I hear it, she starts at Paramount. She's given a big stack of scripts to read. Somehow, by accident, Speed gets on the pile. She comes in and says, the only thing I liked is Speed. And they said, oops, we don't really have it anymore. Yes, that's true. Sherry Lansing came in read the script. To this day, I don't quite remember how it ended up in her stack or who had given it to her because it had already been placed in turnaround. Um, she immediately responded much more positively than previous heads of the studio um, and wanted it to, the project to remain at Paramount. Um a last-ditch effort was then obviously made to try to get it back out of turnaround that we had placed in and we had placed it into turnaround, and Mark had already set it up at Fox. So at that point, Paramount tried to get me to bring it back to them, and it was a really difficult decision because they were offering me a lot more money, um, and and money that was guaranteed, and at the time. I had had no successful films. I had made a few, I had made some television, but I was hardly um, at the top echelon of, of, or anything close to it, of, of regular working producers. I was faced with this dilemma, which is I've agreed to let the script go to Fox. Paramount wants it back. What is my ethical and moral responsibility here? Anyway, uh, to make a long story short, I wouldn't let Paramount have it back. They were really fucking angry. That led to a very, very um, 
concrete and stringent and no exceptions policy of Paramount under Sherry's regime of no turnaround. There was a certain amount of vindication, I will tell you, through my perspective in in that last sort of um, Hail Mary effort to reverse the turnaround. But I don't begrudge Mark because he'd already, it was already gone. And let me just say, vindication from my, from baby taste and script, uh, I certainly can't take in a, a shred iota or atomic particle of credit for the movie that followed. I didn't have anything to do with that, nor did I hire Don DeBont or anybody else. So, yes, I, why not? I reached out to Sherry Lansing about all of this and she confirmed the story. It just was like, oh my God, this is gone. And, and, um, it had been put in turnaround, and I was devastated, um, and rightfully so, as it turns out. I mean, I'm wrong as much as I'm right, but um, it um, you know, was a massive hit and a wonderful movie. She did also clarify that it wasn't as simple as a no-turnaround policy, because they did have to let things go from time to time. Rather, going forward, any project that Paramount would put into turnaround and was then picked up someplace else, the studio would have the right to partner on that project 50-50. And we maintained that throughout my whole term. And some we partnered, and some we didn't. Suffice it to say, Speed is one she would have partnered on. But, hey, this is all water under the bridge when you consider the fact that Sherry would go on to lead the studio's biggest heyday in 60 years. During her tenure, Paramount produced a string of successes from the wildly popular Mission Impossible franchise to star-driven hits like The Firm, Runaway Bride, and What Women Want, to prestige award winners like Forrest Gump, Braveheart, Titanic, and The Truman Show. In the middle of all of that, by the way, Graham would ultimately work with Don and Paramount down the road on another spec script, The Flood. It eventually made its way to screens in 1998 as Hard Rain, with Christian Slater and Morgan Freeman. Directed by, oddly enough, like Jan de Bont, another cinematographer turned director, Mikhail Solomon. Yeah, I told him he owed me. Um, he had to give me his next pitch. Um, and he, uh, man of his word, he, you know, he came in and pitched, uh, pitched the flood and, and, and we bought the pitch. Yeah. Us going back to Paramount after they put speed into turnaround would be, you know, if we said we want to make a movie about a dog with fleas, they would have gone. Absolutely. But, um, and that didn't turn out great. It's I think it's a good enough. It's a good movie. It's not, it lacks what speed had. And as, um, I ran into Morgan Freeman years later, uh, I said, Morgan, um, Graham Yost, I wrote Hard Rain. He, he looked at me and he said, 88 days underwater. I've had a, uh, a lovely relationship with both Graham and Mark since then. That's the best thing that came out of it for me was getting to know. And then eventually we made a deal, you know, we had a deal with Mark and that led to Saving Private Ryan. So, you know, um, I would have liked to have made Speed at Paramount. I have no idea what version of the movie we would have made with what director or what actors. So I can't begrudge the fact that it, it got made in its very best form at Fox. And Mark Gordon gets all the credit in the world because he literally browbeat me into buying it. Or it might have been, it might still be an unsold script in Graham's drawer. Um, and then he got a second studio to step up and uh, and taking it out of turnaround and make it, which which is a which happens rarely in Hollywood. You know, all kudos to those two. Quick fun fact here, Sherry Lansing actually did have a filmmaker in mind, according to one source, Peter Hyams, director of Capricorn 1, 2010, and The Monster Squad. 
At the time, he was coming off of the John Ritter fantasy comedy Stay Tuned and the Gene Hackman neo-noir Narrow Margin. So go ahead and add that to the trivia pile. But to catch us back up in the timeline here, we've reached a cliffhanger. Speed has been shown the door at Paramount, and it's looking for renewed life in a town full of studios that have already said no. The odds of, of a movie that you're developing at a studio getting made, um, it's always slim. So I, I think that it's always disappointing when, when you develop something and you do a series of rewrites for a studio and they don't want to make it. It's disappointing, but it's not a surprise. And so it was just, okay, who's going to, you know, how are we going to get this movie made? Next week on 50 Miles Per Hour. Speed is resurrected across town as a new regime takes hold at 20th Century Fox. And so those guys wanted to, well, do something, right? I mean, get going and have some kind of success. But all you do is sit there and wait for things to come in. Another hungry young executive, Jorge Saralegui, stumbles onto Graham Yost's script and has to convince his bosses to gamble big. I keep reading, not knowing where it's going. And, you know, there's a bomb on a bus and it'll blow up if it's under 50 miles an hour. And my thought about that right at the moment is, well, how are you going to keep that going beyond five or ten pages. And I couldn't believe it that as crazy as it was, I was buying it. We'll also hear from former Fox production president Tom Jacobson, who saw some promise in mounting speed at a smaller budget. Jorge and I both said, we think we should make this. We think it's one of those movies that can be made for a price. All of that and more next week right here on 50 Miles Per Hour. Thanks so much for listening. 50 Miles Per Hour is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Chris Tapley. You can find us on Twitter at 50MPHPod. I'm at Chris Tapley. That's Chris with a K. You can also catch every episode and more at our website, 50MPHPodcast.com. If you dug the show, please like and subscribe and do all the things. We'll see you next time.